Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Welcome to Spiritual Insights, everyone. Thank you so much for taking time to tune in. If you're new to the show, I'd like to offer you a warm welcome and an invitation to join our large audience and community of co-creation and spiritual support. We are dedicated to helping you cultivate peace in your life through self-awareness, and we offer something for everyone. I am a psychic medium, advanced energetic healer, spiritual teacher, and channel for Jesus, and I work with others in the divine. Featured monthly segments include A Course in Miracles virtual class with the co-president of the Foundation for Inner Peace, Robert Rosenthal, MD. We offer energetic healing segments where you can call in for free long-distance healing. And today's segment is the latest installment in our Masterclass educational series, Guidance from Spirit, Channeled Messages from Beyond the Veil, featuring my special guest co-host, Danielle Gibbons, and Mother Mary, the Blessed Mother who gave birth to Jesus in her last lifetime. Danielle has served as full-body channel for Mother Mary since 1994, allowing Mother, in her distinct voice, to share universal truth and lend guidance for the human journey. After a brief discussion, Mother comes through to offer her divine wisdom and tell us all that we need to hear. Danielle is the author of Mother Mary's Pathway to Love and has connected people worldwide with Mother's love and grace through best-selling courses, life-changing retreats, radio appearances, and online events to inspire individuals to awaken and expand their consciousness. To learn more, visit BelovedPublications.com. And if you would like to explore more of Mother's teachings, you can review the audio and video archive I've created on my website, SpiritualInsightsRadio.com, where you'll find direct links to their bi-weekly YouTube videos and regular appearances on other shows, such as Conscious Talk Radio on ConsciousTalk.net. Well, my lovely listeners, I have an important announcement to make with regard to the channeled messages from Beyond the Veil segment. I recently made the acquaintance of a beautiful soul named Wendy Gale. Wendy is a spiritual teacher and an intuitive who offers nurturing guidance and heart-centered awareness of our connection with source energy, as well as messages and channeled transmissions to serve the awakening of humanity. She is a full-body channel for Archangel Metatron, and I've invited her to become part of the Spiritual Insights team. Wendy will join us on a monthly basis to include her light and Archangel Metatron's wisdom in a live, full-body channeling. You are sure to learn from Wendy's unique perspective, and I think you'll enjoy Metatron's teachings and warm sense of humor as much as I do. Since we all resonate with different teachings, this is an exciting expansion for the show. I will be publishing the first segment with Wendy and Metatron shortly. Well, I'm anxious to get started, so let's welcome Danielle back to the show. And talk about our topic for the day. Welcome back, Danielle. It's good to be with you again. 
Thanks, Charlotte. It's so awesome to be here with you today. And how do you feel about my announcement? You are the one who introduced me to the lovely Wendy Gale. I know. I'm super excited because I have been thinking about the two of you together for the longest time. And I just think Wendy is going to be a perfect fit and an awesome addition to uh, Spiritual Insight, along with, of course, Metatron. I love him. I have to say, the first time I spoke with him, oh, how to describe it? It felt like a homecoming. It absolutely, I, I knew him, I've, or, you know, had that feeling that I was like, oh my gosh, I know you. I, 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 it was so familiar and so comforting and so safe. Um, it felt a lot like how I feel when, when I'm with Mother. And so to me, that right there was sort of like my uh, validation that this was, uh, this was really right for me. Um, and of course, I've known Wendy for uh, 25 years plus, and she is an extraordinary individual, so dedicated to her spiritual life and serving others in their spiritual lives. And I mean, she's just really dedicated her whole adult life to it. And so you are in for a treat, my friend. It sounds like it. And the backstory for me is that I have spoken with Metatron. Um, when I first learned of him, I had known the name, but I didn't know a whole lot about him. And so I asked Jesus and Mother Mary in one of my sessions with them in private. I asked about him, and um, they gave me a chance to talk with him. And so he arrived. And we talked about him being on the show, and I asked him questions about himself and what he does in the divine, and he was very gracious and warm, and like you said, I agree with all your words, it was like a homecoming, something so familiar that it just mm. resonated. So I got to speak with him for a while, and that was on my birthday this past year, and with all of the um, changes that have been taking place in my life, I didn't get quite um, the opportunity to, con to connect with uh, Wendy is as quickly as I wanted, so we finally just did it recently. And the funny thing is, is that he has a sense of humor because she, <laughs> she she gave me a chance to talk with him. And because we're acquainted and we had plans to be on the show, um, I had said you're you're going to be on my show, right? And he said yes. I'm still invited, aren't I? I said of course. I just have to get with Wendy. He said okay, <laughs> and he smiles. He smiles this knowing smile, and. Yeah. And so she brought him through, and the first thing he says to me was, well, so here we are, huh? And he used the word, huh? And I was like, oh, my goodness, he used his slang. And the, just the way he spoke, it was it's a little yeah. different than what I hear um, in clear channeling, but it, in working with her body, there's this interesting accent. But still, the content of the word is right there and so comforting and... Just, I love the way he speaks and teaches, and uh, I'm looking forward to this. I really am. So thank you for the introduction. I, you are so welcome. I'm happy for you both. And then for me, it really feels good to be so excited about something. It's, yeah. it's, it's been a while to, to feel that way, you know? I do, yeah. Excellent. I hear you. Okay. So the topic for today is attachment. And the way... I came to this is an interesting little story. So 
I know you might be aware, and I know most of the listeners are aware, that my situation has changed uh, significantly, right, with Alan and the cancer. But there was something in that change that was hard not to notice, and I thought it was worth exploring on the air, and Mother agreed. So what happened was, we all know how sudden change is disturbing, but by using the tools that you, Mother, and I have discussed in the past year, you know, we can adapt and we can come to acceptance, and it gets smoother and it gets better. That's great, and what a learning opportunity last year was, right? So the plan was that Alan was to get to a certain point in his treatment and then move forward with a bone marrow transplant, and the hard part about that is it's very rough on the body, and it requires three months of hospitalization and close observation in a semi-quarantine setting. So to wrap my mind around it, I examined my fears, my apprehension, the anxiety that went along with all of this, and other emotions. And so I decided to really dig deep and work with the situation. So my approach to that was that I decided that this was an excellent opportunity and changed my fear to excitement. You can kind of morph it. So I morphed my fear into a sense of excitement about all that I could accomplish in that three-month period in such a, like a controlled setting, right? At first it seemed like yeah. a prison sentence, but then I said no. It's like riding on an airplane. So airplanes are on my mind lately. It's like riding on an airplane. You're in a confined space for a certain length of time. But that's where I do some of my best writing. I make an opportunity out of it. And I was going to do the same thing for this, to be in that right um, space and be able to hold space for him, hold space for me, and work with it to the best of my ability. I got to the point that I was so looking forward to the situation evolving, reaching a milestone, and then moving, moving through it with a greater awareness than ever before. So I prepared myself mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually for what promised to be an extremely difficult challenge because it's really hard on the body and they take you all the way back to where your immune system was at infancy. So I fully embraced surrender, acceptance, and faith. And I even decided that moving to Tampa would be best for the situation, and I started looking for a place to rent. I was into this, you know. Yeah. I, I was in yeah. with both feet. And then all of a sudden, everything changed. Mm. So the oncologist sat down to talk with us, and he told us that he decided that the transplant would be very dangerous for Alan and informed us that he was modifying his treatment plan so that it was less invasive, much safer, and more likely to be successful. We're still in it for a long time, but it's not nearly as intense. This is not what it was, so there's significant change here. But I was surprised by my reaction to the news. You would think that you'd jump out of your chair and say, oh, thank God, it's a miracle. That's not what happened for me. I went into shock. I went into serious shock. And I think Alan did too. And while it's certainly great news and basically means that I get my life and my schedule back, right, and I can work on my projects and do what I want to do. As it sunk in, I realized I was upset, right? And I was like, what is going on with you? And, like, and I tried to pinpoint it. You try to put a, a name to the emotion. And I felt like a rug had been pulled out from under my feet. And I felt a strange sense of loss. And I was like, where's that coming from? So I realized that it was just another example of sudden change. And I recognized my feelings about it, but it, there was something peculiar that I needed to figure out. So I went back in time, and I looked at, you know, the original diagnosis. That turned our lives upside down, understandably, yeah. right? Right. Conversely, 
the change in the direction of his treatment did it again, but it turned our lives right side up. But it was that same spinning sensation, so it was disorienting. Does that make sense? Oh, totally, totally, yep. And then, you know, we get home and I'm kind of staring off into space like, oh, my God, like everything just changed on a dime. But I felt a need, a need to grieve. And as I moved through it, it took me a few days, but I, once I got to acceptance, I was fine, and I was back to not crying anymore. But I had begun to look forward to something, and then if suddenly it was taken away, so I experienced a sense of loss, right? So once I was able to, I, uh, I took a deeper look at it and really wanted to explore it and understand it. I wanted to understand why I was feeling what I was feeling and where it came from. So what I think I did, Danielle was I went way beyond acceptance and inadvertently formed an attachment to the experience, to this eventuality that I had prepared for, for on so many levels, right? right? So when the direction was suddenly changed, that's when I experienced that sense of loss. It was the loss of an experience I had fixed my attention on without considering that I should allow for some adjustments to be made. I thought it was just a straight path, and it was like the train just derailed. It was crazy, wow. yeah. Well, what, can I ask you a couple of questions? Sure. Because this is fascinating, and I think, it's, I think it's so relevant with so many of us. Um, why do you think you needed attachment uh, when it came to that particular situation? You know, like, what, what is it that you feel drove you past acceptance and into attachment? At first, I felt like I just went a little too far with the recognition that it was an opportunity, A, to work on things in the physical, but also, B, on a spiritual level, to, to walk into something with an open mind and open heart without resistance. Mm -hmm. I think I was looking forward to that opportunity to be in the moment, every single moment, and have ha and have that flow, and I've been there before at certain times in my life. This all of this hit me so suddenly that it took me a while to catch up to myself. But I think I set a goal, and then the attachment okay. formed. I I set a goal for myself that I would triumph over this, um, and that no matter what, I was going to be happy. Okay, and so you think then when you got the news that everything had changed, it was did it sort of feel like the doctor's decision just took you out of the competition, you know, that you were going to triumph over without your consent? Oh, he took it away from me, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He took it away from me. That's, mm -hmm. that's so interesting, yeah. That's, that's where the sense of loss came, like, wait, what just happened? Why do I feel grief? Over this, when yeah. it's the best news, right? And so you know, I had to explain it to Alan, and after I got through my explanation, he says, oh, well, that makes sense. I said, we've been gearing up for this for nine months, and suddenly yeah. it's not going to happen. We're like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Give me my bone marrow transplant. But, yeah. Yeah. but this is so much easier because that is so brutal on the body. I don't even want to mention what some other patients have, have told us happens when you get that type of treatment. Yeah, it's nasty business. So uh, it's yeah. okay, and, you know, we adjusted, and now we're back home. And 
settling back into like a, a new routine. It's not as intense, so it's much easier, but I've gotten a chance to rest and regroup. And so I'm looking forward to moving forward um, from home. And living out of a suitcase for six months wasn't easy. And that's what no. I had been doing. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm glad that I kept the show going. I was taping segments directly from the hospital from that little room. <laughs> amazing. So that was, amazing. That was funny. Charlotte. It was great. <laughs> no, no, you can knock me off course. You're not totally knocking me off course. I've got this, you know. So All I had to right. had to dig my heels in. How much, how much light you brought to that hospital? I mean, really, that's extraordinary. It's it's an interesting experience, but you know what it was like going from one extreme to this something that's familiar, but it's also new because you've been away from it for six months, right? Yeah. It was like flying on a plane, and I I have planes on my mind, and then you're flying on a plane and everything's great and sunny out the window. And then it gets dark, and you see the lightning, and then you hit this extreme turbulence, right? And so it's yeah. frightening at first, but eventually, once it keeps going on and on and on, eventually you kind of calm down, and you adapt, and then you start to get used to it. Right. So time, right. time goes by, and you learn to function in that new energy, right? Yeah. And then suddenly, the plane lands without warning, but you're so used to the turbulence that you have trouble walking on solid ground. And you don't know what to do with yourself or how to feel, right? It's like, wait a minute. So I can't go back to who I was. This this is a new version of me that I have to get to know, you know? Yeah. And it was like, I thought about it. And I was like, I've been here before. I know this feeling. It was like a like a post-traumatic stress thing. It's like, where is this coming from? So I, I went in and I tried to remember the first time I felt this way so that I could address it properly. And what I got out of it, was that it's like getting out of an abusive relationship or a toxic work environment or if high school was stressful or traumatic for either you or any of the listeners. It was like graduating from high school. And it was like, what do I do now? Where all the Most of the stress is gone. The threat is no longer there. My abuser's not here. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. And so and, uh, you, ha- you like have to adapt. It sounds like there was a level there's a level of you sort of psyching yourself up into, uh, you know, your determination to enjoy your time there and work on projects and, you know, make the very, very best of it and mm-hmm. be happy no matter what. You know, there's this sort of feeling. It's like uh, whether, you know, you're, and I know that that's often done with soldiers during war. It's like you have to convince them to go out there and do these horrific things and put themselves in the line of fire and or get in a plane and drop bombs. And so, you know, I know that officers often spend time giving these kinds of speeches to psych people up and the people are psyching themselves up to go out there and to do it and to, you know, and it's this whole buildup. And then... I can only imagine what happens when, you know, they get the new orders. Oh, we're not going to do that. You know, stand down. We're not going to, we're not mm, going to hill. We're not good point. You know, the flood of adrenaline that just drains out of you. It's just like you, yeah, you've, you've worked yourself up into a, into the mindset that you needed in order to go through that. Right. And, you know, attached yourself to what, you know, what's coming, 
so you can get through it. I think that, you know, it sounds like uh, a very powerful survival technique and a very powerful coping mechanism. Right, and I'm glad you brought up adrenaline because I've mentioned that as well. There was such a high level of it pumping into my system that you get used to it, like the turbulence on the airplane. And then kind of like when the the plug was pulled and my system, my uh, central nervous system isn't in flight, fight, or freeze mode. It was that coming down. That's where I had yeah. that feeling of now what do I do? Like right. how am I supposed to feel? Because it was getting less and less when I had learned to function in such a high-stress thing and go with the flow. I had my moments, but I'd gotten used to it. And then suddenly it was right. bloop. Now it's all different. Do it again. Adjust again. Move into acceptance yeah. again. Uh, reaffirm your faith. Do all that stuff again. And so, yeah, it's different. It's easier. It's less intense. Um, it's going to be a couple of years. But it was such a fascinating experience that um, I thought I'd share it. And then Mother brought it to my attention that it was actually a very good topic. Yeah, and you often don't even realize, I'm saying you, but I mean me, we, (laughs) don't even realize how attached we become or that they're, what what is the nature of attachment and how exactly does it work and and what does it mean and, you know, all those things that are, um, I think a big part of it is just very normal to being human. You know, we get attached to each other. Uh, There's a whole area of therapy that's attachment therapy, you know, how we attach to each other. And um, I think there's, well, some therapists feel that there's three main categories, some feel there's four. And uh, so attachment is a big deal. And it's not just attachment to each other in relationships, but, yeah, it's attachment to uh, our physical possessions, uh, places, uh, you know, experiences, things that are upcoming. There's a whole, uh, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a whole um, Outcomes. area of study and uh, focus around how we as humans attach. Mm. So it's, uh, it's, under, it's such a, mm. and yet, you know, you, then, you, then you look at uh, like the Buddhists, traditions, right? Mm-hmm. And they're all about non-attachment. <laughs> it's like, well, right. how does that work? You know, because so much of the way I attach is, is unconscious. Um, and I don't even realize I'm doing it. And I don't even realize how much of my attachment has become unhealthy. You know, I'm, I imagine there's some levels of normalcy to attachment, but then there's levels of, a, a lot of levels of unhealthy attachment, at least for me, uh, given the way I was raised and, you know, what I, what, you know, the kinds of relationships that were modeled for me and, and how I needed to attach to try to get my needs met. Um, there's a lot of unhealthy aspects there. And oftentimes I don't even realize how unhealthy my attachments have become until after the situation is over or the relationship's over or, you know, or like what you just experienced, the big shift where it's like, oh, we were going to do this, but now we're going to do this. And, you know, and then you're left with all those feelings and 
you think, what what just happened? And who was I that I was so geared up for this? Now it's not happening. You know, so it's a right. it's a fascinating area, I think, of of clarity that is necessary for all of us. Uh, because I don't know about you, and I don't know that I see it so much in the situation you were just in, because frankly, I don't know how else you could have, you know, gotten ready to do bone marrow transplant, because, <clears throat> yeah, it's a, <laughs> I think gearing up is normal, like going out to to war, you know, I mean, I think there's a level that you just, of course you would do that. But in other situations, um, I noticed that... Uh, my attachment levels can be extreme. And sometimes I don't even understand why I've attached that intensely uh, or I've set so much store by a particular thing that I'm going to do. Or, you know, it's... Um, yeah, you're just bringing up a lot of uh, really great questions and yeah. inquiry, curiosity for me. Well, let's um, let's go back to the attachment thing and try to find some pathways. So the one pathway that I know and that I use best <laughs> is expectation. And when you set up an expectation and you set it in your mind, it's going to be this way. And, you, and like I said, right. I didn't allow for any kind of modification, adjustment, mm. or redirect, right? So gotcha. I set this expectation. This is how it's going to be. And I don't know if you're a movie watcher. Have you ever seen the movie uh, The Man in the Iron Mask with Leonardo DiCaprio? I did, yes. I did. Do you remember when uh, the good twin gets caught and the bad twin puts him back in the mask and he says, you'll wear it until you like it? I had that in my head. I had that in my head. Uh, You're going to go through uh, this and you're going to like it and you're going to appreciate it for the human experience that it offers you, the soul growth, uh, the shift in conscious awareness. And so in doing that, in gearing myself up in that way and fortifying myself that this is going to be a good experience no matter how ugly it looks on the surface, right? I was right. I was emotionally investing in the outcome. And it's yeah. like setting up an energetic escrow account where you're constantly visualizing, putting, mm-hmm. um, putting decisions in there that really aren't your, you don't have the right to make because you don't know yeah. because change is constant right. and you don't know what's written. But you decide, you set an expectation, you emotionally invest in that outcome, and then when you don't get that outcome, that determines the intensity of your reaction to whatever changes. So so what you're saying is, and that's what I was sort of feeling as I was talking, you're saying that the expectation precedes the attachment, and the expectation is sort of the main ingredient in creating the attachment? I think so. Is that your take on it? That's my experience with it. Um, I would It's something I would want to sit and look back on my life. But that takes time, you know. But, I, yes. yeah, I certainly, <laughs> I certainly am a believer that that emotional investment in the outcome is what fortifies the expectation. So when that changes, you're at a loss. You're, like I said, disoriented. Okay, so in changing... What I emotionally invested in, you've now created an impact on me, like like you said a few moments ago. Okay, how does this change me? Right. And I think I did okay. I, there are moments where 
I'm not going to beat myself up, but I'm kind of disappointed. I felt I could have handled, you know, all, all along the way, I could have handled the situation better or been calmer, but it is what it is when you're in it. Yeah. And and I stayed focused and I tried to stay conscious, but I was told, mother, mother told me, she said, you're not going to believe me when I say this, but you handled this whole thing so well, you raised your consciousness. Yeah, I said, I well, it's not that I don't believe you. I just don't see it. I don't feel yeah. any different. I just don't see it. But if you say so, I, I believe it. The weird thing is that lately I'm feeling these weird changes. Like my voice is deeper. Does my voice sound deeper to you? A little bit, yeah. Over the past two days that happened. My voice seems different. There's these strange emotional adjustments that are happening inside. There's a strange pressure and then I had a reaction to loud noises that I normally wouldn't. And then there's this mm. incoming energy. And then on top of that, you have the Mercury retrograde and whatever else is happening. But something's different and something's evolving. Yeah. And, and I seem to be shifting, just not in a way that I'm accustomed to. So it's fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating yeah. stuff. My voice definitely sounds different to me. It's deeper. It does, actually. You can hear it. Mm -hmm. I can. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So how about if we hear what Mother has to say about attachment? Yes, let's do it and see if we uh, checked a few boxes and <laughs> see, let's see if we get an A. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold on just a second. All right, I'll talk to you on the other side. Hello, beloved one. Hello, Mother. Welcome. It's so good to hear your voice. Thank you, my dear. It is wonderful to be here with you and to all your listeners. I say hello and thank you for choosing to spend your time with Charlotte and I. Mm? Mm. So today you... Uh, have chosen to speak of attachment, yes? Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. And your story is a wonderful example because uh, for a few reasons, right? One, I want to point out that um, given who you are, given what you've been going through, given what your husband thought he was going to go through, uh, given how much your life has been turned upside down by this whole experience, it was highly, highly, highly doubtful that you could have done it any other way, right? Mm. Your need to attach to the upcoming experience 
once, uh, as Danielle mentioned, um, a coping mechanism, right? right. Or a defense against uh, the unknown. Right. And I want to point out to begin with that this is completely 100% normal and natural. Mm. And to all those that are listening, when you are under extreme conditions, when you are asked to make very difficult decisions, when you are faced with uh, uh, the pain, the possible, uh, and to, in your case, Charlotte, the probable pain of a loved one, mm. you're going to formulate your inner life, your mindset, your feelings. You're going to calibrate yourself mm. to make the very best of a very difficult situation with the outcome really basically unknown. They know some things, but they don't know for sure, right? Right. So um, for human beings, oftentimes, no matter how evolved you are, how much inner work you have done, when there is that... Um, sort of continual experience of being in fight or flight. And adrenal glands have sort of discovered a new norm, really. They are uh, churning out at an unprecedented rate, and it goes on and on and on for months and months. That colors the way you make decisions. It colors the way you attach to the things that are, number one, in your life and the possibilities that are coming into your life. Mm. So this is one of the reasons that myself and others like me are trying to inspire others to focus on an inner life, to have an inner life, to meditate, to do things every day that create uh, calm in your life, that help you to relax, to decompress from the normal everyday anxiety, because there will be times in your life, all of you, no one gets a pass, no one. At some point, you are going to have to, whether it is you directly or a close loved one, you are going to be thrust into that fight or flight experience, what humans consider crisis or difficulty. And yes, some people are able to go through it with a little more um, stress reduction, a little more calm, uh, but most people do not. And when you are in that fight-or-flight mode, you attach in a very particular way, and you attach to people, to things, to experiences, in such a way that 
you are trying very hard to create a certain outcome, right? Mm-hmm. So, and people that um, like yourself, who um, were had your own childhood traumas, and you kicked into fight or flight early in life. Mm-hmm. So, in many ways, that is a normal state of being. Uh, it raises and lowers depending on your situation. But fight or flight for you and others like you is the normal way of living. It's often why people like yourself struggle from both um, adrenal exhaustion and uh, digestive troubles. These are the two main areas that affect people that have uh, high levels of daily anxiety due to the fact that they are sort of stuck in that fight-or-flight mode. And when you are stuck in that place, you attach in a way with people and situations in a way that sort of um, guarantees the outcome to some extent. For example, you, from asking lots of good questions and doing your homework and research, you discovered pretty much what that transplant was going to entail. The time period, the kind of space you would be in, where it would happen, all these things. Uh And in order to get, to manage the outcome, and of course, ultimately the outcome you want is that your husband is well again and restored to health, right? Right. That's the ultimate outcome. But because you know you cannot control that outcome, you right away become busy trying to control all the other outcomes, particularly you, how you go through the situation, how you're going to take lemons and make lemonade, Mm -hmm. all these things, right? You just determine how you are going to be in order for, and this doesn't make any logical sense, but there you have it. This is human beings with feelings and all that. But by controlling your own experience to such a degree that you are sure of the outcome, that's your little girl's way of trying to ensure the outcome of your husband's health. Mm. Interesting. That the bigger outcome, the one you both really want, actually happens. Wow. So it is absolutely, again, understandable and normal because what you know from your childhood and from what flight or flight tells you, fight or flight tells you, you have to protect yourself. You have to ensure your own safety and the safety of the ones you love most, right? Right. That's your job, your responsibility. Uh, No one else is going to do it. 
Um, so you have to ensure the safety of others. And the way you know to do that is to get very clear on the outcome you want um, and create, formulate all your expectations around that. And then the attachment, the energy of attachment begins to take place. And day by day, little by little, the attachment takes a deeper and deeper and deeper hold. And uh, then you are uh, fully committed to everything that's about to happen. You've planned it all out. Uh You are sure, sure, sure. And um, then when it doesn't happen... It is completely normal to feel that something has been taken away from you, something important, something that you are going to control. Because now that the treatment plan has changed, and even though it doesn't even matter that it's a better plan, that doesn't matter, not when it comes to all these old feelings and mm-hmm. attachments and, and uh, the energy of, on which you're running. None of that matters. What matters is that now you've been flipped into a situation that you don't know how to control the ultimate outcome that you and your husband want and Mm. hope for. So there's that feeling of, wait a minute, um, where can I exert control here? Where where can I... Um, attach in or dig in in order to make this happen. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's that exhausted feeling that, oh, I have to regroup, I have to figure out a whole new plan, mm-hmm. put it in place. Right there's this um, <laughs> resentment that the plan is changed because you worked so hard and put so much inner effort into making sure the plan worked out. Yes, I worked very hard on that. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So this is at the heart of attachment um, is that you, uh, you engage with people and situations, right? That we could call attachment uh, engagement, right? It's how you engage. So it doesn't, uh, attachment itself is not negative, not positive. It's just how you attach, right? right? If you attach a magnet to a refrigerator, well, there are certain laws of physics that are going on there. And that's just how they attach. Right? Okay. So how you attach is based on uh, your the, the way your mind works, uh, your physical body, your emotional body, your spiritual body, your history, and most importantly, are you in fight or flight or are you in feed and breed, right? Feed and breed is where you're relaxed, your central nervous system is relaxed, you are feeling okay. People that um, grow up in situations where they... Um, 
the dysfunction is not very high. There's always going to be some dysfunction because people are people, but uh, they grow up in households where they are deeply loved and cherished, and they were given a safe childhood. Their parents took care of them, or one parent, or um, three parents, however many, uh, but they grew up with more a sense of safety, uh, a sense of being very loved, easy to give love, these people tend to attach in ways that are more balanced and healthy. They see it's normal just to be relaxed in their life, to love and be loved. It's, it comes more easily. But hmm. for people who grow up in any kind of continued trauma, sometimes if a child is extremely sensitive, one trauma, like a divorce or the death of a parent, which is no one's fault, that can throw off a child uh, into fight or flight permanently. No matter how much love and safety is there um, after the trauma, but for people who sustain regularized or almost normalized mm. dysfunction and trauma in the home growing up, whether it's with parents, extended family, uh, adopted family, in a home, um, whatever the situation, people like that, they slip early into fight or flight because they have to. It's survival mode. That's what fight or flight is. It's survival mode. So that's where people get into it. And that shapes how people attach. Okay. And so when you are talking about uh, attachment, think about engagement, right? Imagine yourself stepping into something, right? Uh, let's say with you, the wonderful example you gave, that situation, right? Him getting a transplant, the bone marrow transplant. Mm -hmm. You can imagine yourself stepping into that arena. And before you step into the arena, let your imagination just go wild. Right? So maybe for you, um, if your imagination is just going wild, you think, oh, I'm going to get so much done and because I'm sort of enforced semi-quarantine and I have to sort of be contained here. I could work on this and I could do that. Yep. Just let yourself go. Or if you are meeting someone for the first time and you think, oh, they might make a good friend or, oh, I'm very attracted to that person, uh, let your imagination just go wild. And start to look for what you hook into of all your imaginings of stepping into that situation you watch yourself you feel yourself out you could write it all down whatever comes to you and then go back in and uh, underline what uh, really pulls you in and then as you start to think about how you might Let's say it's a project you wanted to do, right? Mm -hmm. As you imagine that project, 
you imagine yourself doing that project, what you'd like to accomplish, and start to feel what happens inside of you as you focus on that imagining, as you write about it, there's a system that each one of you goes through to engage, to attach, right? So first you stepped in your imagination. You stepped into the situation. You wrote all about that. Then you say, ooh, these two projects, boy, I'd love to, really love to get those done. Well, that's the next thing that you're stepping into. How are you stepping into it? What's happening for you inside? And as you spoke earlier about you made these decisions, that you are going to be happy about it, no matter what, you decided you are going to be happy about it, you mm-hmm. were going to love it, it was going to be great, right? But that is how you go deeper and deeper into your engagement. Every step you take, right? Then uh, you decided these projects and you are going to be happy doing them in this confinement. That's another step into uh, the engagement. Another step, uh, not necessarily with uh, a lot of attachment, but into the engagement. So how do you engage? And what you ended up doing is you didn't give yourself any room. You painted yourself into a very tight corner Mm -hmm. um, that didn't give you any room to make adjustments or to just check in and say, hey, how am I feeling today? Because you'd already decided how you were going to feel throughout the whole three months. Uh-huh. So everyone um, steps into their engagements differently. So if we're talking about a significant other, ooh, I'm attracted to that person, that individual. I want X, Y, Z, oh, if I could have this with them, and then we could have that, and then that, and then that, and then that, and that, and then all of a sudden uh, you are dreaming and imagining that uh, all of this is happening way, way, way far out into the future, and um, you start to, if you are in fight or flight, if you are someone who, um, but that is even at low grade, if that's a normal way of living for you, you are more likely to take your imagination and mistake it for a need. Oh, I need this person. I absolutely have to have this person, right? So how can I step into the engagement in such a way that I control the ultimate outcome, which is to live happily ever after with this person? Uh And these are big engagements. And you can learn a lot if only you are willing to be as honest as you can along the way, right? 
And you can ask yourself very simple questions. The first question is, hmm, am I possibly getting ahead of myself here? That's one question. The second question is, uh, what am I feeling right now? That's an excellent question to always ask yourself throughout any day or for any reason because it brings you right to the now. It forces the mind to say, okay, take a break from the future here, from imagining what is, and let's bring it to now. How am I feeling today, right now? And a third question is, how does it feel to engage with either this person, this situation, this imagining that I'm doing, um, right? You can, uh, that's a little different, uh, how do you feel? Maybe you say, well, I'm feeling sort of scared or a little shut down or I'm worried. And then if you ask, how does this engagement feel so far? What you are then really focusing on is your participation, how you're engaging with the person, the situation, um, the events, the community, whatever it is that you are engaging with. Because engagement is wonderful. Engagement is connection. You want connection. You want to be connected to people, to the divine, to yourself. You want to be connected to your endeavors, your creations. That's wonderful. Mm. But if we move into attachment in a way that is unhealthy, that is an indicator that you are no longer interested in connection and you want guarantees. You are looking to the outcome rather than exploring the connection. Mm. Does all that make sense? It makes so much sense. Wow. I, um... And I have to look at all of it. You know, I'm listening intently, of course, but you brought up childhood, and my childhood was a continual, steady diet of stress, trauma, humiliation. It was always fight or flight, no matter where I was, home, neighborhood, school, church. I mean, everywhere. Yes. And so now, to see it through your eyes, I see that in making those decisions, the imaginings, calling where I would, would have been staying and making sure they had an internet connection and a table and a chair for me to sit and do my work. I worked very hard getting all those things into place to feel safe, but I see that I was looking for a, a lifeline to save me from this, and I see the control aspect. But since I grew up feeling and believing that it was all up to me, I decided that I was the only one who could provide it, and I didn't leave any room for trust, did I? Well, um, let's not be black and white, my love, because that's not really what your life is. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. So, 
where you painted yourself in the corner, it wasn't so much about trust in me or um, Yeshua or the divine or Alan's own ability to heal and his own uh, life and what that means for him. But what happened for you, again, the feeling of control makes you feel safe mm-hmm. in very extreme situations. Right. So you figured out what you could control and you dove right into that. <laughs> and But you dove into such an extreme that it's not so much about trust, but you didn't leave room for yourself to breathe, my love. Mm, I say, yeah. You didn't leave room for you to say, you know what, uh, today I'm not happy. I'm not having fun. Uh, I'm feeling um, horrible. I'm overwhelmed with grief. And then two days later you say, today I'm feeling okay. Um, I laughed. I was able to uh, feel a little more upbeat, right? That's giving yourself room to breathe. You, you sometimes when mm. people control from that place of fight or flight, they don't give themselves room to just be who they are in any given moment, right? Mm. So... That's really what you did, my dear, is that you didn't uh, give yourself room to just be who you are going to be in any given moment. I see. And when you set yourself up for that, right, you decided you're going to be happy, it was going to work for you, you were Mm -hmm. going to make it work, so that then on the days when it's not working or you're not happy, whom do you blame? <laughs> Me? Correct. Mm-mm-mm. And we all know what happens when self blame is in play. It's very punitive, it's very punishing, and it um, can be very hard to identify, it can be hard to see it because uh, oftentimes the response from someone who is a survivor is, I just have to try harder. That's the solution. I have to work harder. I have to plan better. I have to try harder. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, Be stronger. Mm -hmm. Be stronger. The feelings just keep coming up. So what I encourage you all to do when you engage with anything or anyone, is just make sure that you leave yourself room to breathe. And the more you think about my words and you meditate on them, you will start to get your own images and understandings of how you cut yourself off from having any space for wiggle room or breathing room, right? So I'd encourage you all to think about engagement in relation to connection, but that's really what you crave. You crave and yearn to connect. But when you don't feel that connection anymore, when you're into uh, what you all are calling attachment and expectation, that's when you've somehow taken control and uh, sort of edged out 
that connection. Mm. You've changed your focus. So bring your focus back to the connection and do your best to live just in today. Hmm? Right. May I ask a question, Mother? Yes, Sinami. Okay, you were saying how to um, watch and feel yourself, write it down, underline what really pulls you in, feel what happens as you focus on your imaginings. There's a system you go through. So once you get closer to, or, or maybe some people can fully identify their system of engagement, is it to our benefit to try to evolve that personal process or just accept it for its uniqueness to you and how it formed in the first place? It would be an enormous evolution if you gave yourself more room to breathe. It would be an enormous evolution if you began to ask yourself, how do I feel about this engagement really? Right? Not what I've decided, what I put on paper or what I've talked myself into, mm-hmm. but what's real? What am I really feeling about this person, this situation, this creation, this engagement, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that is very much about evolution. And the best thing I would tell each and every one of you, and I know that this might sound very simple and um, to the complex mind not very effective, but do whatever you can for those of you that grew up in trauma and in severe dysfunction, and you know intuitively that you are maybe stuck in fight or flight to some degree or another every day, do whatever you can to learn to lower your levels of anxiety, stress, and worry. And I don't necessarily mean go to see a healer or spend money, but you can learn to work with your thoughts. You can learn to meditate. You can learn to do things, something as simple as deep breathing. Uh, Do some laughter yoga or yoga nidra. These are all free things that you can discover, uh, find the tapping, the EFT tapping. Uh, All these are free resources on the Internet all over the place. Do what you can to untangle your... um, your central nervous system so that you slowly, slowly bring yourself out of fight or flight, right, on a regular basis. No one was meant to be there on a continual basis. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that is the best form of evolution you can possibly do, no matter what's going on in your life, your health, uh, your situations in your relationships, your job, the very, very best things you can do is lower your anxiety levels. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's what I was, as you were describing it, that's what I was imagining or picturing is that the more often you do those things, that it starts to soften uh, fight or flight, um, 
what do I want to say, on button, that it's constantly there, it's constantly at that level, and so it softens it, untangles it, and then does it eventually allow you this, maybe not a leap, but maybe a final step to say, I don't need fight or flight anymore. I survived my childhood, and I feel safe. No, you'll, you'll always need it, beloved. Oh, okay. It's uh, instinctual, and you want it. You don't ever want to be without it. Otherwise, you would not be able to recognize legitimate danger right, true. to yourself. And, uh, and your body would not be able to then react accordingly to that danger. So True. you don't want to lose it, but you don't want to be in it uh, chronically. Right. That's okay. the difference. You want to use fight or flight for acute or immediate situations or short-term situations, like what you and your husband have gone through. Mm-hmm. It would be close to impossible for someone to go through that without some level of fight or flight. It's just life. Mm-hmm. But um, a year or six months or a day or two months, that's one thing. But decade after decade, it wears the body out. It uh, makes it hard for the adrenal glands to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. You are pumping cortisol into the body, which is not supposed to have on a regular basis. Uh, there are all these hormones and um, endocrine uh, functions that are not uh, can't keep up with the demand. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. And so that tends to create exhaustion in people, fatigue, and uh, where you just feel tired and worn out by life. Well, in in a sense, you are. Right? Yes. Are worn out by being in fight or flight for uh, chronically. So if you think about it, you want to unravel those uh, nerve patterns in such a way that you can um, you can diminish the effects that it has on your body, and eventually you can get to that place where you are not chronically in that state anymore, but you are you want to chronically stay in feed and breathe that relaxed uh, open place right yes okay they have a name for it right. chronic fatigue syndrome it's um uh, very damaging yes yes, and that can happen uh, but that is in more severe cases. most people cope. Um, and may not have vibrant health, they may not have uh, the best of health, but they are not quite in chronic fatigue, right? Right. Uh, And some people are able to go for a long, long, long time before they even feel the fatigue. Uh, That is their personality. They might have uh, just been born with um, uh, bigger energy, uh, more energy stores, uh, higher functioning body, mm-hmm. all these things. Some of it depends on genetics as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, poor digestion and um, some level of fatigue, regular fatigue, um, these are two very uh, prominent signs that at some level you might be stuck in fight or flight. Mm-hmm. I'll remember that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for this, Mother. This was terrific.
very enlightening. You are so welcome, my love. And to all those that are listening, I love you and I am with you always. Mm-hmm. Mm. Namaste. Namaste, Mother. Hello. Well, that was fascinating. That really was. I have never, uh, I, you know, I've never really heard her teach on that particular subject in that way, and that was, uh, whew, I was really listening. <laughs> uh, because that was, uh, yeah, I and I realized that a lot of what I've been doing the last, I'd say five years, really, I hadn't put it into those words, but I have been, I've been put, I put into words that I've been trying to deal with my chronic anxiety, but I realized that, yeah, it's the, it's the fight or flight, that I'm just, you know, I've, I've been in that since, I don't know how long, childhood for sure, but I don't, you know, I don't know exactly, but Long time. I'm 53, so yeah, long, definitely and, long time. But to hear it uh, this, long. yeah, and to hear it this way, gives you almost like a better set of binoculars to look back with. Yeah, yeah. yeah because true. as I look, and because as she's talking, I'm seeing images from my childhood flashing through my mind. I'm like, you got to pay attention to the conversation. Do that later. <laughs> but it was coming up so fast, and some of it, yeah. Because, like I said, that was me, <laughs> you know, a constant, yeah. constant diet of stress, uh, humiliation, um, fight or flight every day, every single day. Mm-hmm. And as I grew up, then there was that experience of, wait, the, the major part of the stress is gone. What do I do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I noticed and what had to be pointed out to me by other adults in my life, in my 20s, was that I was very defensive. And now I see that because I wonder about it, but I didn't know what to think about it. All I know is, well, yeah, it makes sense that I would be defensive. Every time I turned around, there was either a verbal or a physical attack. So you're always hypervigilant back up against the wall, hands out in front of you to protect yourself. And so it resulted in a lot of defensiveness. Looking at that nail... I see how it occurred, and I think I can understand that and, and let it go. I'm really going to work on that. It was crazy. And have a lot of compassion for ourselves, you know. It's like having grown up in, in that kind of environment uh, and being stuck in fight or flight for so long, you know, colors everything. Yeah. You know, there's that defensiveness, because I, I can relate to that. I'm still, oh, my gosh. I'm really? I'm still overly defensive. Oh, yeah. When, uh, you know, when I have an altercation with a friend or, um, ooh, I, I just, it, yeah, 
it's, and I don't lash out in anger. Sometimes I do, but it, you know, it's rare when it happens. But when it does, I realize it's like, whoa, 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 honey. It's you know, no, the 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 enemy's not at the walls trying to uh-huh. get into the into the fort. You know, it's like <laughs> they're just pointing something out, or they were hurt by something I said or did. I mean, this is just you know, no one's no one's setting your house on fire. It's like it's. And I just, right. ooh, I get, it's really scary for me to, to confront anger, people's anger, or when, you know, I've done something wrong. So, yeah, I still get really defensive um, in certain instances. Yes. And uh, it's and I always have to go back and say, I'm so sorry, you know, I, I overreacted. And, but thank God I get to make amends. Well, here's, and, and well, yeah. I'm sorry, and uh, just, you know, own my stuff to the best of my ability. Right. And be honest and, and uh, you know, hope for forgiveness because that's, you know, that's really all right. you can do. But what you just said triggered something really big in me profoundly. And I've done a lot of, you know, inner work over the decades, right? Done a lot of healing work on myself. I've, I've got... A lot of notes talking to Jesus, but I wonder if, and if this topic ever comes up, I hope that it springs to mind so I can ask it, because I don't know that I'm correct, but this is what I'm feeling in response to what you said about still feeling defensive. Over the years, I got much better because I was so disappointed in myself that someone had to point it out that I was defensive Mm, or felt a need to explain myself all the time, and that's defensiveness, right? I wonder wonder if, once this situation uh, arrived in my life, I I think I had successfully either calmed down the fight or flight or tamped it down and managed to change my behaviors, perhaps without addressing the core issue. But I wonder if this sudden stressful crisis kicked that up in gear and the defensiveness came back because I noticed that all somebody has to do is ask me a question. And no matter how I respond to it, whether it's polite or curt or whatever, what I feel is that I've been accused of something or that someone's trying to tell me I did something wrong or didn't do it when I was expected to. Oh, it comes oh, up fast. Oh, boy. Yep. Like, yep. oh, yep. Did, you, did you start dinner yet? Sounds like... What do you mean you haven't started dinner yet? Right, right. When right. he when or he was you're wrong because you haven't started dinner, and you have to defend yourself. Right. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. And, and he, one thing you can trust is he would never speak to me that way. Yeah, yeah. It but just if that's what it feels like, and yeah. you go right into explanation mode. Like, well, well, no, I I, I completed some things. I, I I had an appointment with a client, and then I had to go get dinner. So. I was I was just asking you a simple question. Yeah. And you're all over yeah. the place. Like, oh my yeah. God, what has happened to me? You know what I mean? But I wonder yeah. if having that churning of the adrenal glands pumping all the chemicals into your system and then having to stay there at that level maybe brought back some feelings or behaviors or reactions that now can be addressed. And that would be oh, yeah. a beautiful thing to be able to get rid of that. Yeah. Absolutely, because I'm still healing that my wounded child that 
you know, feels that she's wrong. And uh, so if someone questions me or confronts me on something, I, I, a mistake that I made or that I hurt them or said hurtful, you know, that just validates that old feeling that I'm wrong. And, of course, the anger that comes up as a result of someone, <laughs> of course they're not, but saying that I'm wrong or that accusing me of being wrong. Right. It's a it's a cycle that happens. It just it it just happens inside of me, and um, and it it is hard to get down to the feeling that really what I'm afraid of is they're just not going to love me anymore. You know, if I if I do one more wrong thing, they're going to walk away. Or you know, and and it's easy to say, oh well, you know, they they didn't deserve you anyway. But and but the mm. truth is that the fear is still there and that's what I'm really working on with my inner child is that you know that that fear that I'm going to lose someone's love, respect, um attention, you know whatever it is that uh, they're they're giving me in the moment uh, but mostly their love. So yeah, it's the defensiveness is is a is a old reaction to that. Yes. And uh and I'm 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 definitely working on that because it is it makes for my interactions with people like the deeper interactions and the necessary interactions, you know, because things are gonna go wrong in relationships they just do. People make mistakes, I do, they do, whatever. Sure. Um it They're makes mirrors. those interactions that's right. It makes those interactions very uh difficult. I make them very difficult unnecessarily so I see. So that's a that's a real focus for me is is letting go of my defenses. Um and it's all part of my new uh my new definition of safety. Right. Mother and love at the heart of it. Yes. <laughs> no. And and you know when you said, you know, losing someone's love, their attention, their respect, what came up for me and it's always been a big thing is loyalty. Because the one thing I needed and wanted when I was a kid was this respect, but a loyalty, a sense of a family unit that was loyal to each other. Right. Right? Yeah. And so yeah. that made loyalty, that put that right in the forefront, that this person, even if they're mad at me, still won't lash out and or, or will give me a chance to either explain or make up for it if I really, because I would never intentionally hurt anybody, but it happens. Without yeah. meaning to, and but I've always given people if they if they hurt me a chance to to explain where they were coming from or what was going through their mind or what their reaction may have come from. Um, and when people tell me I've done something either to anger them or hurt their feelings, my response has always been because this is what I wanted people to offer me was I'm sorry I did not mean to make you feel that way. I will look into it to see why I said that or thought that or did that, and I will do everything in my power to make sure it never happens again. Mm. But I never got that back from anybody else until Alan and those. He he said that to me verbatim. Wow. So, well, this was fabulous. Thank you once again, wow. Danielle, for your insights and for bringing Mother through. Um, I think everybody's going to get a lot out of this. You are so welcome. It is my pleasure, Charlotte, and I look forward to next month. Me too. Talk to you in a few short weeks. They tend to fly by. They do. And we'll okay. see what comes up. All right. Take care, Danielle. You too, sweetheart. Bye-bye. Bye. 
thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. Until next time, God bless and be at peace.